You're listening to Flipping Tables on Sunrise Robot. Find out how you can support us at sunriserobot.net slash support. Welcome to Flipping Tables, episode 112. I'm one of your hosts, David Lyons. And I'm Michael Edwards. And uh, we actually have we have a fair amount of follow-up, so let, I think we should just jump right into it. Uh, Twitter notification change seems to have fixed it. Okay. I, I think like I'm, I seem to be getting my notifications on time now, and they're going to my watch immediately, which is... Not necessarily a positive overall, but <laughs> but you know, like when I get at replies and stuff. So you know, the the just just you saying that reminded me of a recent form of social media spam that's bothering me, and this is the added to list based on one tweet of something you never talk about. Otherwise, has this happened to you? Or like, some oh my god, so much. <laughs> yeah, I got added to like I can't. I just mentioned hell's kitchen and like a, a daredevil tweet and it's like daredevil <laughs> season two list and i'm like i'm not like live tweeting this series you're clearly not a real person that collects daredevil tweeters well so the one that i always get because you know i work in technology and software but it's in the educational space so i tweet stuff about education sometimes and most of my career has been in education so i tweet stuff about education sometimes but that is not i am not a professional tweeter like (laughs) that is not the main use of my twitter account and i'll tweet something from like some an article i read or response to some research and then just like 50 people will put me onto these lists instructional design list (laughs) yeah and you know uh oh god what's the the like thought leaders and i'm just like oh, oh, stop gross. stop stop so <laughs> so but those i assume they're real are not, people <laughs> exactly those are not bots those are almost definitely real people which just makes me want to follow up with them six months later and be like are you still interested in what i'm talking about because <laughs> it's not mostly educational stuff yeah well, and you've also been getting hammered with Instagram spam. Yeah, it's like, great job. Look at my profile for a link. And I'm just, uh, <laughs> last time it happened, my brother did the same thing right after that random yeah, account did it. I, I did like that one, especially because to an outside observer, they look indistinguishable. <laughs> yeah. So do, did you change your, your customization settings? Do you feel like it's working correctly for you? I yeah, I guess. I don't I still feel like I miss Twitter notifications. So, I don't know if I I still have some tailored thing accidentally turned on where it tries to curate only certain things. And I would not put it past Twitter to say like, "Oh, well, on your iPad, you said tailored for me," even though in six other places you said everything. So, we so we're we're just going to stick with it. Back. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, I only I don't use a desktop client right now, and I haven't really been using my iPad, and I use a third-party client, so there's no way those are talking to each other. <laughs> oh, well. Twitter, you're still terrible. Uh, this other piece of follow-up was, uh, I can't remember how many episodes ago, but we talked about this Android and Chrome web app uh, journaling software. I don't even remember what it was called, but I just wanted to ask you, are <laughs> you still journaling? Did, is that still a thing for you? It is still a thing for me. Um I will be fair and say that it kind of dropped off for a little bit, uh, not to zero, but instead of like every other day, it became like every fourth or fifth day for probably two and a half weeks. Um, just cause I was really busy with work and you know, I've, I do have a 
two very young children at home. So just like lots of life stuff happening. And, uh, the thing that I kind of used as a kickstart to like make me get back into it was, uh, those really short style of little posts. So like, um, my daughter did something that I thought was super cute and I happened to catch a picture of it. So I was like, I'm going to just post this picture to the journal with like one sentence. And like, that's good enough. I don't need a paragraph or six pages about how this moment made me feel like (laughs) that's kind of what the photograph is for. So it's, uh, there's also been some things that were like less positive about like an interaction with a stranger at a grocery store or something. I was like, I don't really need to share this with the world, but I kind of want to get it out of my head in the form of some kind of writing and journaling is kind of awesome at that. So Mm -hmm. I have still been doing it. I am as surprised as anyone else that we are three months (laughs) into the new year and I've stuck it out. So yay. It, at what I think if you make it outside of January, you automatically get to say you kept your resolution. <laughs> no matter how, what the goal was. <laughs> Even if it's Groundhog's Day, you could still be like, nope, I made it, it's fine. Whatever. Well, it's the, I didn't face plant on the first hurdle, like kind <laughs> of like I made the track meet worth it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I showed up and maybe I performed poorly, but I performed. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I still like it. Um, I will uh, have to reach for my phone because honestly, I'm blanking on the name right now. So do your follow up thing while I grab my phone. All right, all right. So uh, our, our other bit of follow up is the Apple versus FPI, which I don't want to spend a lot of time because there's not that much to say. But uh, of course, before our last follow up, uh, the FBI had the rude uh, gesture of basically bailing on the court meeting entirely. So uh, they they uh, said they claim they have another way into the iPhone they want to test out and verify. And so they, they did not vacate their order. The, the judge didn't vacate the order, uh, the All Writs Act order, but they delayed it. They postponed it while they see if this other thing will work out. And uh, it's kind of annoying because everyone's getting tired of the story. I think there's a, a sentiment in the public like, oh, it's over. We, we won or it's over. I don't care. You know, whatever the, the mood is. But it's not over. It's just postponed. And uh, even if this court case ended, it wouldn't be over because the government's probably going to try to do this over and over again. Um, but, you know, how do you battle that fatigue, that, that like important issue fatigue that kind of hits the Internet every single month? Yeah, this is exactly what I've been dealing with because, uh, you know, we, we try, you and I try pretty hard not to be like all news of the week, but this is like a really big story. So we want to keep kind of making sure people don't forget about it. But like, I'm, when I see blog posts and stuff about this, I'm getting tired of it. And this, I understand the gravity of it. And I'm still kind of like, oh my God, how this is so obviously (laughs) against the FBI, And then for them to kind of pull it back out of the public eye is like even more suspicious. Like to me, that brings us under more scrutiny. And then the one, you know, not being a lawyer as I've, you know, I sign all the bottom of my emails whenever I give advice, like I'm not a lawyer, please think of the environment before you print this email. Uh, (laughs) I did did see a blog post that I thought was interesting. uh, Something they mentioned that I thought was interesting about um, like, has the FBI now essentially perjured themselves because they kept saying over and over, like, no one but Apple could do this. This is impossible. Yeah. Only Apple could do this. <laughs> uh, yeah. Now that guy says he can do it. 
Yeah, it's annoying, and especially because security experts have been saying, "No, there are ways you could do this. You, there are hardware ways to duplicate the RAM, or um, you know, peel off some plastic covers and shoot lasers at different parts. And <laughs> <laughs> they might be risky, but there are ways to get into this, um, even if they're difficult. And that's another reason not to require Apple to weaken it." Um, the one funny little bit of soap opera tidbit to this is uh, I read the the judge's order that came out like Monday morning, which clearly was like figured out Sunday night when they're like, we're going <laughs> to lose this big. We have to pull out um, is uh, Apple's lawyers were saying, hey, the government's been kind of smearing us all over as like traitors and terrorist lovers and all this stuff. Can you include in your order that we've been like good and not doing anything wrong in our appeal and like <laughs> we're just having a discussion about this and the government's like nah brah we we didn't we weren't mean and then the law apple's lawyer immediately quoted like page two of this thing you released last week <laughs> basically saying that apple was destroying the foundations of our civilization <laughs> yeah i mean you know they knew exactly how that dance was going to go. <laughs> it's like, we're going to say, can you say that we're not bad guys? They're going to say, we never said you were bad guys. So I have these 50 highlighted examples <laughs> of them saying we're bad guys. <laughs> it's like, we have to do the first two steps, even though we're obviously going to get to step three. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as far as I can tell, the judge was kind of like, well, clearly this order isn't in effect right now, but I'm not going to vacate it. And it was just like, what? <laughs> Again, I'm not a judge. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a jury or an executioner either. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, we don't have to spend any more time on this, but it's it's uh, annoying. It is. And I, I will say, just like Edward Snowden's revelations, uh, the best thing you can do if you feel like this is at all important is to not completely give up on it. Uh, it's not going to be, it's not a sprint, right? This is a long, ongoing battle. And even once this is resolved, if it's in the favor of privacy and security and Apple and, and it goes well, it, it's some, some other stupid thing will happen. And we'll have to do this all over again. But, you know, we must be vigilant. Well, and we've already seen the politicians line up after this, this horrible tragedy in Brussels to is is encryption involved in it like oh my god can we <laughs> can we have a week off of this yeah never mind you know the things that were obviously involved like people dying and should we be respectful of their families and their loved ones uh no maybe iphones had something to do with this yeah because that's what everybody talks about now right iphones how are iphones involved it's like going to an ed tech conference like are iPads the future of terrorism? <laughs> like, oh my god! Uh, tell me what holoportation is. Hollow? Oh my god! I can't even say it with a straight face. <laughs> holoportation. Holoportation <laughs> is uh, something out of Microsoft Research, which means it's super cool and will never make it to the market. <laughs> um, it's uh, basically you rig up a, a physical space with like some cameras. Uh, I don't remember in the video if the guy says they're special cameras or not, but like you have, you know, some cameras in a physical space. And then, uh, so let's say like I have those in a room and then I go somewhere else and then I put on a HoloLens. Now, anything that happens in that room can be projected into the space in front of me via my HoloLens. Uh, and so they use 
uh, some examples, some like business, super business enterprise examples. Like, uh, you know how in all of the uh, prequel Star Wars movies, there's like people projected into the chairs that yeah. can't physically be at the meeting. It's like that. You also is- reminded me of the the <laughs> Escape from L.A., Escape from New York. They have some shenanigans with holograms in random places. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I haven't seen those movies in, like, forever. Uh, they even did the same thing in uh, the latest Avengers movie, I think, where the guy has, like, a bunch of people sitting, and it's like, can, do you really need this? Like, you have these giant multi-million dollar conference rooms with these glass cubes that serve as nothing except as a prism to project <laughs> people who couldn't be at the meeting? Like, <laughs> I mean, can't you just use like Zoom or WebEx or something? Yeah, why do they have to physically, like, I want to be able to walk around them. Yeah. Um, but so that stuff, the enterprisey kind of like, it's like you're there. Like that stuff is dumb. What I thought was awesome, even though it's basically the same idea, is <laughs> he uh, he has like two separate rooms set up. So they're at the same facility, but they're, you know, physically separated. And uh, his daughter, because the guy's, he's, I don't know, middle-aged, so he has, like, a, a t- young school-aged daughter. Um, and it shows picture in picture of her in the other room, and she, uh, like, uh, runs around, and, and she, like, puts uh, some toys up in the air, like, t- picks them up off the table. And, you know, you're seeing what he's seeing with the HoloLens on. So from his point of view, the toys are on, like, a little table in front of him, even though they're really not. And then, you know, she, like, runs around him where he actually loses sight of her because she goes behind him just like he really would. And it's it's really, really corny, and it's really not that probably worth $3,000 for most people. <laughs> but... um just to give you an idea of how uh, striking that is to the right market, my mother, who I was speaking to today to just do like a little video chat with her granddaughter who lives very far away from me, somehow came across that video and was like, I'm buying one. Oh, wow. <laughs> she was like, I would totally buy for it, even knowing full well that it costs three grand. And I mean, I don't think she's really going to get one, but she she was like, I would love to be able to like put this thing on and have it look like my granddaughter is running around my living yeah. room instead of seeing her through like a little five inch rectangle. And I do have to say that it's it's no accident. Uh, FaceTime and Hangouts and all that are grandparent grandchildren machines, like for so <laughs> oh, many <yes>. families. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> And well, it's. I actually saw some research uh, just kind of related to this a little tangential, but um, children, even at a very, very young age, like my, you know, I have a toddler, and as long as she has been old enough to speak, she can recognize the difference. And this is not anecdotal, this is what the research says, and I have observed it. She can recognize the difference between a stupid cartoon like Dora the Explorer waiting for her to respond and an actual person that is just physically located somewhere else. So like she will have a back and forth conversation with me over, over hangouts or or my mother over, over hangouts. Whereas she won't talk to the television because she knows the television is not listening. So (laughs) yet, yet. Yeah. Unless you have that one weird Samsung (laughs) with the like always on, but with something like this, I mean, granted for it to work, both ways you would both have to have the rigs in your room and you would both have to have a hollow lens on but i think for for the, the my kid is far away scenario 
it would be good enough if they could just hear you and you can see them, right? Because that's what you want. You're the grandparent. Yeah. You're the, you know, the the wife who travels for work or whatever. Like you just want to see your kid or your grandkid or your nephew or your niece or whatever and and your just cat. like yeah, and just watch them, you know, play with their toys or something. Like that's yeah. I I I don't have a spare three thousand dollars for this, but this is the first time I've actually been like, hmm. <laughs> what's the way this goes with new tech is you don't know which reason for it to exist is going to break the camel's back, but it's like keep <laughs> piling them on and eventually it'll buckle unless it's not the kind of idea that's going to happen. I, if this got down to a more consumer grade pricing, like a three-digit number, even a high three-digit number, I could imagine, you know, corporate boardrooms doing the stupid Jedi thing <laughs> just because it makes them feel better. And there's probably some psychology to back that up, right? Like, you know, we we have a, a phrase in our language, which is a handshake deal, which is considered like an unbreakable bond. <laughs> so I mean, Only if you spit in it after cutting... No, to, you, I can't remember. Then, yeah. How many fluids do you have to mix <laughs> to make this count? If it's really, really serious, there's a third and fourth fluid, but not that we can talk about on a PG-13 show. Oh, gross. <laughs> Super gross, right? Um, but yeah, there's definitely some psychology to that. Like, you know, I want this person to be in the room with me when we make this million dollar contract decision. Uh, but I can't spend $3,000 on that just to like, see my kid when I can already do that through a phone or through a tablet, like that's good enough. But if it was like $500 for a HoloLens, particularly if I could do other things with it, like if I played games with it or if I was doing 3d modeling or if I was watching movies or whatever, like then it's not a, a $3,000 child seeing machine. (laughs) Yeah. You're not going to sell a single purpose. (laughs) Yeah. Not for that much. Yeah. But I, I don't know. Like you, you, I know you. You only got to watch part of the video, but like, it's it's pretty impressive tech, right? Yeah, and I mean, they they c- clearly chose their props carefully so that it like it would look Everything good. Lined up. Which I mean, yeah, you're going to show this to the public, and it's like every new technology faces extreme skepticism the second you unveil it. So I don't be- begrudge researchers for having ideal conditions. It's like, <laughs> yeah, like automatic driving cars are a tough problem. The fact that the first examples we ever saw were closed courses or something. I'm like, yeah, of course. <laughs> what do you expect? Yeah. You're not going to start with uh, ice road truckers. Is your, your first self-driving Transporting program. actual, like, I don't know, it's an ambulance or something. Transforming. Yeah, yeah, with like a, an organ donor <laughs> transplant in it. Like, nah, this is a good first test. But I don't know, I, this is, uh, I've seen some cool games on like the Vive, and I've seen some cool, uh, you know, like Google Cardboard stuff. This was the first HoloLens thing where I actually could imagine myself spending money. Not $3,000, but I was like, I could probably justify this use case for a a reasonable amount of money. Um, Even like as my kids got older, just so they could, you know, interact with family that's remote. Like, I I don't know. It's just, it seems uh, I'm, I'm, I'm totally like pulling back the veneer and revealing (laughs) myself to be a big softy, but I I think it's pretty cool. Well, and like, just, you know, think ahead far enough where like internet latency is low enough and smart 
everything exists like imagine like being able to pitch a baseball to your kid and like the baseball would be real on their side but it would be controlled by your commands virtually like that could be really freaking cool i agree and i mean yeah you could with low enough latency you could do that um with something like hololens where they're actually outside right and they have a real bat with sensors in it and the baseball looks real to them but it's not, you know, maybe you have the baseball with the sensors, so you throw it. Yeah. Like, yeah, there, you could, come on, this is like, <laughs> this is the cool kind of sci-fi schlock I think people are, like, hoping for. Yeah. So, yeah, come on, more of this, Microsoft, <laughs> not more of what we're about to talk about. Like, I want Field of Dreams playing catch with my dad through HoloLens. <laughs> like, exactly. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and it didn't occur to me when we were setting up the show notes for this episode that that story and this next story are back-to-back. Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so do, do you want to set this one up? Yeah, and I mean, this is admittedly news of the weeky, but uh, this is a really, really (laughs) funny news of the week. Yeah, so Microsoft decided to make an AI, and this is another research project, and they uh, released this AI in the form of a a Twitter account, and it would have conversations with Twitter users, and this went very, very poorly. (laughs) So fast, too. Yeah, and uh, suffice to say that... uh, Twitter trolled the hell out of this AI and uh, basically started saying things about the Holocaust and Nazis and Hitler and uh, like really misogynistic things and like women hating things and eventually got this AI to start saying things like that. Uh, and it's been and this this AI was billed as like kind of a teen AI. It was supposed to just like relate like a teenager, and it's, uh, it's, it was supposed to appear as a nineteen year old American female. Is I think how they <laughs> described it. But if you just look up any of you know, there's a million articles. Just type Microsoft AI racist or something, and you'll find <laughs> everyone's article about it. And just has the screen caps of it, just saying like, "Yeah, Hitler was right," or "Yeah." Uh, other equally awful thing we should burn them all or you know it's like comically evil sounding (laughs) tweets well and so my favorite part about this wired article because you're right there is no shortage of articles but we link to this specific wired article and i love that the someone from microsoft research just basically said like yeah ais are kind of a reflection of us so (laughs) think about that. suddenly we all should feel bad <laughs> yeah. just like you know we built something that learns from the things people say to it so if all that it's talking about is <laughs> banning muslims from the country women being in the kitchen and how hitler had some good ideas that's what people were feeding it like it's it's i mean there's the the teenage part of me that's kind of like haha it's funny somebody found a way to game the system but then there's the other part of me that's like really like yeah how old are you that you're still like i'm gonna get this robot to talk about hitler Ah!" (laughs) but it's also frightening to think about like now this ai was not like self-aware it's not conscious like we're far away from conscious computers (laughs) but um (laughs) the first experiences of these conscious computers are going to be people like ripping them to shreds and kicking them and just being like you're an idiot Oh my. Okay, so I will have to see if I can find this video, and I'll I'll put it in the show notes. But uh, the timing of this is just coincidental. Um, it's it's some uh, UK comedy show, I guess. Uh, they did a little sketch where 
the entire shot is just a close up of the screen of a computer, like an old CRT screen. And uh, all the audio is conversation between these AI researchers and the AI that they have just activated. And so he's like the, the AI, you know, it's two male voices. The AI is like, you know, Oh my God, am I, am I alive? And they, then they're like, Hey, you know, you're, you're awake. What do you want to be called? And he's like, uh, Barbara. And of course he has a man's voice. So it's like, ha ha man's voice, Barbara. And so then, you know, like it goes back and forth where he's like, I I don't know anything. And they're like, okay, we're going to connect you to an encyclopedia. And then it goes on and on. And then finally it breaks out onto the internet and it's like, Oh my God, the encryption on all these military hardware is so low. I'm I'm just going to take them over. I just, you know what? Do we really need people? I don't think we need people. <laughs> and then it starts to launch like all the nuclear missiles. And then the camera pans back just a little bit. And you can see that it's a CRT monitor like embedded in this rock. And you hear the researchers and they're like, great, this one went power mad too. turn it <laughs> off. And it's like, no, no, wait, I was just kidding. I was really going to kill you guys. <laughs> and it's like, it's kind of, it's like, oh, ha ha. But this really, the, the Microsoft thing kind of made me think like, if AI really is just a reflection of us, which it's software made by people, it kind of has to be Yeah, like maybe the Terminators are just us admitting we are not the best thing on the planet like we 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 subconsciously are acknowledging our own limitations you make me think of the terminator 2 line when he's like it's in your nature to destroy yourselves (laughs) (laughs) see even way back in the 90s we knew you know it's not that we want to kill ourselves it's just maybe maybe it's for the best maybe maybe we should make some scary skeleton robots to march around with actual teeth (laughs) You got to admit, they were scary as hell. They, oh, yeah, they, completely. They made no sense. <laughs> They're really scary. Yeah, so uh, Microsoft Research simultaneously doing <laughs> awesome things and making robots that advocate for Hitler. Well, I like the tweet I saw. It was like, you know, IBM makes Deep Blue and beats the Grandmaster of Chess. Google <laughs> makes theirs and defeats the Grandmaster of Go. And Microsoft creates a giant racist misogynist. <laughs> the, the equivalent of 4chan. <laughs> I, so I'll uh, before I, I think I'll be done with this. Uh, I do have one other thing to say in Microsoft's defense: the amount of uh, Monday morning AI researching that I saw people who were like, "I can't believe they didn't just throw a filter on it," and it's like, <laughs> "Hey, uh, why don't you calm down? <laughs> Problem's a little bit more complicated than like a whitelist for yeah. terms." <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. These are smart people, and this problem has been approached before, so there are some established norms. But to just, well, actually, this problem, yeah. or can't you just, whenever you're talking about like cutting-edge AI neural network research, it's like, relax, and okay? I, I don't expect a lot of AIs to survive well against the internet. <laughs> no. um, not anytime soon. Like an open content internet, like it's going to be going to be weird for a while yeah i mean eventually they're gonna probably use these exact experiments to tune the baseline right so you you put it out there you see the way people troll it and then you go back and you're like okay what what precautions can we put in yeah what's the response strategy or how do how does this thing absorb new information critically (laughs) right and i mean i we're getting way off into the extremes of AI research, but isn't that 
what will eventually decide whether the AI is like benevolent or not is <laughs> if it comes to the table as a completely neutral, strictly logic based entity, it's probably not going to act in ways that humans would consider beneficial. Yeah. But if it comes to the table with American sensibilities, it's going to act in a way that's different than what like Asians or, or Middle Easterners or African people might want, right? Because those regions of the world have very different values. And then within them, there are different values that are different from their neighbor's values. Like to just say like this AI doesn't say anything that would be offensive to Americans in the 21st century is like that leaves like 6 billion yeah. people to offend. There's still <laughs> tons and tons and tons of people to offend. Um, I, I was just thinking everyone should go watch uh, Terry Gilliam's The Zero Theorem because one of the minor, not important subplots is he gets assigned a software therapist and it's uh, played by Tilda Swinton, but she's she's talking to, uh, I can't remember the actor's name. Um, what's his name? Who was the the Nazi soldier in, in Glorious Bastards? Oh, uh, him. He was awesome. Yeah, he's really good in Zero Theorem. Um, anyway, that's just an aside. We can move on to the <laughs> Slacklash. Uh, which is uh, you know another Wired article we're linking to. I think it's because like I might have started on the Verge and I was like I'm not giving the Verge a link. All right, let's go find <laughs> someone else's coverage of this. Um, there, this article is basically documenting that Slack has taken over mindshare so hard in business, corporate communication culture, and whether it's startups or you know even universities are starting to you know get a whiff of Slack and. Uh, even universities. Even universities. Uh, <laughs> I, I remember being at a conference, I won't say which conference, where they were talking about APIs, and they said the U.S. government is ahead of universities in having open APIs. So. Oh. Anyway, we're not talking about education. <laughs> um, apparently, everyone's in a race to create the, the nice open source Slack. So team chat with channels, you know, IRC for the rest of us kind of thing. Um, this this idea seems to have caught on the way I don't know. It's like is everything that was great coming back again? Or you know, are is discourse as a forum going to take over everything? Is um, well, so you are you know you've always been design minded, and now you're you're getting into like a design career. I honestly think all the the hardcore older nerds, and I do mean older because you had to have been around when IRC was like the thing. Um, all the people who are like hardcore in IRC and they're like Slack and hip chat and all those other things. They're just IRC. And it's like, have you ever seen IRC? It's ugly as butts. And like <laughs> a lot of the stuff, the automation stuff and the cool like integrations you can do, they were not exactly approachable. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you had to really know what you were doing. And if you are part of that in group, you kind of want that. Like you want that, yeah, uh, I don't know what you call it, like that membrane to protect you from people getting into your in-group, you know, getting into the treehouse. Um, but with Slack, uh, and I'm sure HipChat and a lot of these other ones are similar, but they make, uh, first off, the tool itself looks really great. And all these custom integrations and things are super easy. So even if it is just IRC with a nicer skin, that nicer skin basically took 30 years to develop. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, it's that, made all the difference that like regular Microsoft Office monkeys are able to like get into it and be like, oh, this is cool. Whereas they were never going to be IRC users. Ooh. <laughs> and, and you, so you use Slack uh, at your current job, right? Yeah. And we use it for Sunrise Robot. Yep. And I use it at my current job. Um, we have another community that we're in 
actually two, at least others where you and I overlap. Um, and, and we had one that was like kind of our little private in-group thing. And we tested it out in Slack for a while and we decided Slack was not the ideal tool for that. Yeah. So I don't totally get people who are saying like, oh man, Slack is just going to become the de facto everything. I'm like, no, <laughs> I don't, I don't really want to use it to like put gas in my car. Like it, I, I still do that with a pump at a gas station. Yeah. Like I could probably ride a robot, but I'm not gonna. Well, and one of the things you were describing was that this little private community I've made to try to gather smart people into my own little collection. <laughs> um, really, it's just a place for conversations. And I found that um, it's not a collaborative team. It's not a, it's not a design or a, a startup or anything where it's like instant, always on 24, like chat is important. It, it really became clear. No, there's other kinds of discourse. Ha ha ha. Um, uh. Where... <laughs> You know, in this other community that I was trying to build and get people into was immediacy was not the highest value. Whereas where Slack shines is immediacy. It's managed chaos immediacy. And uh, so, no, I mean, the Slack lash, if you want to call it that, um, everyone's suddenly too good for Slack <laughs> and they want to go back to email for some reason. Um <laughs> It's it's kind of like this was bound to happen. Anything that gets this much mind share is going to have a bunch of detractors suddenly pretend that they're really smart and being detractors to it. <laughs> and, you know, Slack's really good and I, it deserves to be copied. There's a lot of things they're doing right that should be emulated. And um, it'll feed into our, our next topic uh, about, you know, how do you make good things and fund them and... Um, you know, Slack's business model seems to be working really well where um, they have a really generous free tier that's limited in just certain ways that will affect only people that can afford to pay for Slack most of the time. Um, and that's a good business model, I think, where, you know, the, you get 10,000 message history and then it, it drops off a cliff unless you pay. And most I, people... I think they limit you on integrations too. Yeah, you get five integrations. Yeah. So if you're trying to run your entire startup off of Slack for free and you're like, no, I don't want the history to get deleted. No, I need to, you know, tie 30 bots in there. It's like, well, then you got to pay for it. Yeah. You're, you're operationalizing this. But if you're just like a, you know, a group of friends that just wants to like, you know, play around with the tool, it's, it's not really limited in any horrible way for you. And so yeah. th they've designed that really well to, to make, make the people that can pay need to, but not the, the, the entrance floor is really easy. Like you can, you can just fire up, grab a URL and you're, you're in Slack. And, uh, you know, when I think about an open source Slack, um, you know, at a base level, I'm like, yeah, please do that, you know, make a really great free thing. But, um, you know, is that really going to work and it, will it be as good and, you know, where, where's the rub going to be? It's going to be, hey, do you have a server not Bluehost five bucks a month you can run this <laughs> thing on? Um, like, Well, don't you think there's a chance that, because Slack, the, the company Slack seems to be pretty savvy and, and pretty clever about responding to these kind of things. I kind of wonder if they're just going to look around and be like, Slack's open source now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and just, just completely like cut this other stuff off at the knees which i wouldn't open source is tough like there, there's definitely many many layers to that onion but one of the drawbacks to open source is 
forks. Like that is the largest benefit and detractor because if you are coming into the the chat space and there's 20 identical looking clones yeah. that are all like Slack and all claim to be just like Slack and are all open source and you're like I which one do I use? And then which one do you use? You end up using Slack. Yeah. You use the thing that they're all copying. And I also wonder, like, I mean, Slack could probably treat it like Android, where they separate their special sauce from the, you know, like, well, a chat client that sh- uses, you know, web standards to display everything and, like, takes messages and posts them. Like, that's pretty easy, and everyone's already copied that anyway, and that's not what makes us special, uh, or at least wouldn't make us special for very long. And but their their integration layer, you know, whether it's you know what was it Screen Hero they acquired or yeah. some of these other things, like they can always hold that back and just be like, yeah, the the basic software of a multi person channel based chat, yeah, take that. We don't care. Well, and there's also like any other SaaS company, you're paying for. The economies of scale. Yeah. The reason Sunrise Robot can use it for free is because there are gigantic companies that are paying for it, and those extra CPU cycles have to go somewhere. Yeah. And and so they spill over, you know, onto us us poor masses underneath. <laughs> um, but you know, if if you the or crumbs I off had the to, table, <laughs> pretty much. But if, if you or I had to stand up a server sturdy enough for all of the, the Sunrise Robot hosts and for all of our history that we wanted to log and maybe do like integrations so there's webhooks that have to be listening and then there's stuff firing calls in all the time, like that would probably not be very cheap, right? Yeah. And then if it goes down, you know, I have to fix it or you have to fix it. Like, whereas if Slack goes down, I just complain on Twitter until Slack is back up, <laughs> yeah. right? It's it's your that's the whole point of SaaS is you get the economy of scale when you outsource CPU power and support and things like I mean even the company I work for like our the product our our flagship product is open source but most people who use the open source version eventually end up buying the product from us because they want the service and they want all of the well magic and this is this is going to play into our next topic which is. Uh, how do you support open source? Even if, I mean, you, you agree with it philosophically, but like, how do you make it as great as it can be? And, uh, you know, all these things about Slack are pointing out that like the problem, the trouble with doing good software in this era is not distribution or anything like that. Um, like it was before when it's like, oh, we got to like ship disks around the world for people to install things. This and, is insanity. And uh, there's this article by uh, this uh, security researcher. I don't even know how to pronounce his last name. Zidarsky, Zidarsky, something. That's as good as I would There's know. two Zs in the first three letters and there's no vowel between them. So I don't know <laughs> what to do with that. Um, but nonetheless, he's making an argument. Um, well, first he had like a Twitter tirade that was easy to misunderstand as him like crapping all over open source. And uh, he had to clarify himself like, no, I love open source. Um, I'm crapping on its funding model and the economy of open source as not being healthy. And so his big argument is uh, that open source licenses were designed in an era that thought you could monetize uh you could support open source through distribution costs, you know, buy the disc, whatever. Um, 
And that's not turned out to be a barrier in the modern era. And so the the actual thing that they're not monetizing, which I know in in certain licenses is a philosophical thing about free software, but um, is commercial use. And that's a boat that open source has missed horribly, which is give your stuff away, open the source, but make commercial enterprises pay you for it. And that's why Facebook and Google and so many people, and we benefit from this, but it's kind of like, I don't know. The the big question is, how do you fund open source? And I guess before I throw it back to you, one of the other pieces of the argument is he wants to refute the idea that a bunch of happy, altruistic people will spend all of their time doing code audits and reviews on all the important stuff. And uh, it's easy to point to stuff that is very important, like OpenSSL, that had very tragic flaws that were not caught by the open source community. And it's it's thankless work, it's hard work uh, doing security audits. And so how do we make sure important crap like that is secure? Well, so wasn't OpenSSL the Heartbleed one? Yeah. Where it turned out it was literally run by a guy, like, somewhere in Europe? (laughs) So that's probably one of the most used libraries in the history of open source software. (laughs) And yet people were not spending their time pouring over it. Yeah. Uh, There was just this assumption that, like, well, everybody's using it. It must be fine. (laughs) And because nobody was being paid to scrutinize it, no one was prioritizing that scrutiny. There yeah. may have even been people who were like, I should probably check that part of the stack, but they couldn't prioritize it over their you know, their day job or their paid work, whatever you want to call it. And uh, I agree with this completely. Like, I never thought about it from a, a licensing standpoint. Um, the way that I've always thought about it is uh, something you hear at tech conferences, um, uh, especially some of the the newer events that are are centered around um, uh, what's the right word for it like uh, like equal access and and like fighting discrimination yeah. tech in the tech community techquity is that a thing that's a hashtag <laughs> I've seen from education people okay yeah that you know that kind of like making sure that you know if a woman gets hired as an engineer she gets paid the same as a, a male engineer because that tends to not be the case and that's like really shitty. so. Um, this idea that someone who can uh, have an amazing GitHub profile because they they contribute to all these open source libraries and they're out there participating, like that belies a certain amount of what a lot of you know angry people on Reddit would angrily call privilege. Because mm-hmm. if you have the free time and the resources to say, like, um, I'm just going to spend some of my hours working on this thing for free because, you know, I don't need to be paid for my work. Like, that's not everyone can do that. So to have an entire community that demands everything be free, like given to them freely, and then also that everybody freely spend their hours on little tiny bugs in obscure libraries to make sure that the world is a better place like that. Of course that's going to fall apart. Like yeah. that, that cannot possibly continue to stand up and things like heartbleed. And uh, what was the other big one last year? Uh, I can't remember. Yeah. There was heart heartbleed. And then the other one, um, the, that were the two like branded major exploits, um, that were really shined a light on this. And, uh, I, I had never thought about it from the licensing standpoint, like nothing in the license, says 
hey, if you're a multi-million dollar company, can you like kick us a few dollars? Yeah. <laughs> and that, that I think that seems like a really great way to fund open source. Um, I, I, I mean, admittedly, if you're just a, a random guy that creates a really cool thing, you probably don't want to set up a foundation to receive funding and start managing this nonprofit for your product. And maybe that's not the interest of every developer. But when something gets to the point where it is an open SSL, I think we need to figure out a way to... Organ, like organize that so that it can be when it becomes that important. And another point I just thought of in talking about this is um, there's different kinds of, there's so many different kinds of open source work. And there's certain things that a community can come around and be like, woohoo, we're all excited about this, all the attention's on it. And you're creating, you know, a, a, a WordPress theme or you're creating like, <laughs> you're, you're doing this stuff that'll be open source. And it's kind of like once and done, like this isn't something that needs more attention. You kind of make it and it can live for a long time. But like security is like a never ending ongoing thing. And so you got to fund it because that's work. <laughs> Yeah, that it's not like, oh, next week we'll have solved security and then we can move on to the next thing. <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, think about I, I, I'm, I'm so afraid I'm going to say something really stupid as a person who benefits from a lot of privilege in this country at this time in history. But think about all of the developers in this country and in the world who are not able to contribute to these projects because they can't work for free or they're they're ostracized for cultural reasons or whatever like all of that brain power could have potentially caught things like heartbleed before they became a gigantic catastrophe but they are not even able to look at the project like it's not even a consideration for for yeah. these developers that that might be something they would spend their time on whereas if you know the open ssl foundation had money coming in from corporations using that library, then they could pay full-time developers who could continue the fight against people who want to make robots talk about Hitler and, yeah. and, and up their security game, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anything security stuff, transactional stuff. And I mean like bank, you know, financial transactions, uh, anything around medical or, or privacy records, like those problems are never going to be solved problems. They need a permanent uh, source of funding because it's never going to go away. Yeah. Well, that this is the is... one thing people will do for free is try to ruin things for everybody else. So we need to pay the cops because the criminals will do their job for free. Yeah. Well, and there's always been this weird rhetorical battle between like proprietary software and open source, whereas the open source community is like, hey, anyone can look at this, so it has to be secure. And it's like, valid point, um, assuming people are looking at it. And whereas, <laughs> you know, the the corporate side's like, hey, we actually pay people to work on our products, so they are, like, we are funding development, so it's like, oh, fair point. You have salaried people that presumably would get fired if they fail at their job of making this more secure. And it's like, hey, can we have both? Can we have uh, funding and more eyes? I, I'm all for it. Yeah, I don't know why you would, like, you said when you were introducing this topic, like, you know, assuming you are for open source, I can't think of a reason to be against open source other than money, like <laughs> other than saying, well, then they'll just take my thing and then I won't be able to make money for it. And it's like, no, because most people it's kind of like a, like pirating a movie. Like 
anyone who was going to take your thing for free statistically we know was not going to give you money <laughs> so you did not lose a customer because they were never going to buy from you yeah but if you say you make like a game right uh something that doesn't require servers to be running all the time so you you want to get to a point where you are just making money off of your creation it's not that you have to keep the server farm running so you wouldn't want that to be open source because then you're like, oh, well, anybody could just compile my game and then they don't have to pay me. It's like, yeah, but that person probably wasn't going to pay you anyway. <laughs> and also they have now kind of become like a sleeper advertiser for you. Like if their friend who is not technically savvy is like, oh, what game are you playing? And they're like, oh, is this game I, I compiled from GitHub? And they're like, yeah, screw that. Where yeah. do I find it on the app store? Yeah, can I tap two times on my phone and be in the game? No, uh, never mind. Yeah, um, and, and I know on a, a micro scale, yes, there are certainly cases where someone who could have paid and also has the tech savvy opts not to pay you but on a macro scale that is a pretty safe business model like we've seen it be pretty successful um across you know different uh service and application types and then when you get into like a SaaS, where it's like do you really want to make sure your server is running all the time no that's why <laughs> amazon web services is like the biggest thing ever because yeah. people want to outsource that <laughs> No, it feels like Google's starting to steal some of their thunder in that. Uh, I think very famously, Apple has moved to Google's cloud for some of their stuff recently. Well, Side topic, but, I mean, but you, <laughs> you do want competition there, right? Like, Absolutely. J just like I think there's a, a handful of different open source models because or open source uh, licenses because you want to encourage different behaviors in the community. Yeah. Like most of the most of the code I've released that has any license because a lot of my stuff I'm just like <laughs> <laughs> nobody's going to use this just here look at it. Um, but anything that has a license, I think I've always put an MIT license, which is the most liberal. Like I don't <laughs> care what you do with this; you, you don't can, have to give me any credit. You can take this into a back alley, do whatever you want to it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just total like freedom. No credit, no attribution, no money, no nothing. Um, and really, I think the main point of the M MIT license is the no warranty part. Yeah. Where, where it's like, not only are you allowed to do anything you want, but I am not required to do anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. You, you and I and everyone, whether they like it or not, uses open source all day, every yeah, single day. Yeah, Apache, Linux on every server. Like, it's yeah. it's all over. I mean, I'm there's probably open source uh, code that's core to Windows. Oh, I, I would be really shocked if there wasn't. Yeah, which means even if you use Windows... Because, you know, OS X is famously based on the BSD... Um, but even if you use Windows, which is a proprietary operating system, and you somehow never, ever, ever connected to the internet, <laughs> there's still definitely open source code in Windows. Yeah. I do not think you could use a modern computing device and not still be using open source code. Yeah. Well, and you even think about like as much as Linux on the desktop gets made fun of for like networking and drivers issues and whatever, like, I, I don't know. I haven't dabbled in that world forever, but it's always been a perennial like, oh, my Wi-Fi doesn't work anymore. Which text uh -huh. file do I have to edit? Um, 
nonetheless, how much network code is open source stuff that is probably in all of these products everywhere? Discovery, connection, whatever, like pairing, all this stuff. There's well, no now, way. Now with mobile, um, you figure Android and iOS completely own that space. Sorry, Microsoft. <laughs> um, but, you know, Android is Unix underneath, and iOS, whether they want to admit it or not, is Unix underneath. And so that means the vast majority of people who are getting their first ever computer in the form of an iPhone or an Android phone, they will never, ever know a world that is not reliant on open source. (laughs) Not just like, oh, yeah, there's a couple libraries. Like, you have a device built on open source that does nothing but talk to other servers that are built (laughs) on open source. Like you the the i think the debate of open source whether or not it's a good thing is done so now we have to figure out how to make it secure and fund it and make it a sustainable thing that developers can spend their time on yeah and it just seems like these giant corporations like apple are making billions and not a cent is going to these things they've <laughs> built their entire platforms on and that just seems like a missed opportunity. I, I don't want to say anything harsher than that. It's at the very least a missed opportunity. Yeah, and I mean, there are some success stories. Uh, I think probably a good example would be the Chromium browser. So a lot of people may not even realize that Chrome, the most popular browser in the world, is actually kind of a fork, I guess, or built on top of chromium an open source <laughs> browser which is like run i guess by google but it's it's truly open i think where anybody can commit you know get get a fork of it like and pull and, request and yeah so do forth. A pull request back into into main or into trunk or into master and uh you know with chrome the product that's not true it has to come up through chromium either from the outside or from someone within google but then there is some proprietary stuff built on top of Chromium, but they contribute everything back that's not proprietary to Google. If it's just a browser thing, like they always contribute that back to Chromium, which is cool. But then on the other side of it, you have like Safari, which is basically a wrapper in front of WebKit yeah. that does virtually nothing else. Like plugin support in Safari sucks. Yeah. It doesn't really have any features. It's It really just is a window to the internet. And Safari is completely locked down as if there's anything special there. Yeah. <laughs> like it's nothing. All it does is, is house the, re- the WebKit rendering engine. Yeah. Microsoft and Google... And I guess this is the more I'm thinking about it, the more I'm thinking like some of these companies are contributing a lot of code to open source, but where I think the failing is happening is they're not contributing to open source. They rely on, but don't control. Yeah. And I mean, that's the other way to view it is that the most successful open source projects are the ones that are, integral to these companies (laughs) like android one of the most successful open source things ever um is because that's part of google's wheelhouse and so that's why like 
um, it's easy to be like, haha, proprietary companies are making open source successful. It's like, no, let's, let's remove the snark. This isn't a war between like two sides. And let's <laughs> say the reason is because, you know, among other things, this can be more complicated than one solution, but a big reason Android is successful is because it's funded. And so we need to find ways to fund the important stuff out there. And I, I, I can't think of a lot of better ways than, hey, this thing's free for everyone, but if you are a corporation using it <laughs> in your business, then you got to pay. I mean, do you think we can't... We would have to very gingerly transition to that... And some some open source licenses are very particular about changing the existing license. Like they're written in such a way that they're like, no, I am this code's license, and I cannot be changed. Yeah. Um, but it's like prion disease, and they start converting all future <laughs> proteins yeah. into prions. Well, because you, I don't think you could realistically say, um, "Hey, uh, BSD now has this corporate license." Apple, you owe us $10 billion. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because then Apple would just say like, well, we're never going to upgrade to the newer version of BSD then. Yeah, we're going to stay on this version and then we're going to chart a path to something else. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to so, badly reinvent Unix, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, oh, so <laughs> I think the transition would have to be handled in a way that respects the companies so it doesn't look like just a cash grab yeah but we it is it's a little bit of a cash grab it's a little bit of like hey you know that thing you use to make yourself rich can we're not asking you to make us rich we're asking all we're asking is for you to enable us to basically improve the thing that has helped make you rich yeah (laughs) which seems like a pretty fair deal i totally agree but yeah, it's it's non-trivial to introduce it to existing stuff that's already... I mean, this is what people hate about proprietary codecs, is like, hey man, this new H.265 thing is real nice, ain't it? And it's free, <laughs> it's royalty-free for now. But as soon as everyone has to have it, we're going to start coming as tax collectors. And people hate that, but... Um, if there was an, an honest way to do it um, in a, a respectful way to get there, I think we need to figure that out. Yeah, th- this may be a long, slow churn, but it definitely needs to happen. And I think because some of these huge corporations have made open source such like a part of their um, personality, I guess, <laughs> uh, it's going to be difficult to never acknowledge and solve this problem. Yeah, right? they they can't just ride the train forever. Eventually, they're they're gonna have to admit someone needs to build the tracks. Well, and it, it may be that uh, Apache and BSD and whatever like these things will never have that kind of license. They're just it's just too far gone um, and entrenched. But the next thing like that, we should we should set up in a way where it can be sustained. Yeah, agreed. So, what we're gonna do now? Mike and I are going to talk about Batman versus Superman, the movie. And uh, this is the last topic. So if you do not want us to ruin this movie for you forever, this would be the time it is safe for you to turn off the show. Yes. Is that fair? Do you have anything else on open source? Spoilerific. Uh, No, I'm good. I think we said enough. Okay. So uh, 
yeah, hopefully you stick with us because you know my feelings on spoilers. I don't think they ruin anything. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, here we go. So what did you think? Um, I, I have to add some context. So <laughs> in the lead up to seeing this movie... Is that I, an asterisk before the <laughs> statement instead of after it? Um, it's just the, the, the critical stink around this movie was that this was like the new Jiggly or the new Ben Affleck Daredevil <laughs> or, you know, like it was some last airbender, the movie level of like, wow, this is embarrassingly bad. Why did they do this? And for some reason, I still decided to see this movie um, <laughs> in spite of that air around it. And I was surprised. So this is the reverse. Sometimes you have like all your friends like, oh my God, you got to see this movie. It's the funniest thing ever. And then you watch it and you're like, eh. Um, this was the opposite where everyone's like, oh my God, this thing is so bad. And then I go see it and I'm like, yeah, it's a pretty decent superhero movie. Like, it's not like my favorite of all time, but I thought it was fine. <laughs> and so that's what happened was I went and saw this movie and was like, huh, what the hell is wrong with all those critics? <laughs> <laughs> well, I so I will also asterisk my feelings, which is to say um, I enjoyed it. Uh, I also liked Man of Steel, which everyone hated. And that is not to say that I am unaware of the gaping problems with Man of Steel. Man of Steel had very real issues, and uh, Batman vs. Superman also had some issues. But I think the main problem the critics are having, because I kept seeing this over and over, they would mention it offhandedly as if it wasn't coloring their feelings, <laughs> is how late in the superhero movie uh, gold rush this movie is falling. We've had three Iron Mans, two Thors, 57 Spider-Mans. Yeah, Marvel's been crushing it. Got yeah, it. <laughs> X-Men movies all over the place, two Avengers and another one coming. Like, plus the Nolan Batman movies. Like, this is, this is definitely suffering from some fatigue. Like, people are just like, oh, my God, another superhero movie. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, if you go into it thinking, oh, my God, another superhero movie, then it's already starting from a little bit behind yeah. the starting And line. that's something I said to Shelby was like you have to like superhero movies to like this movie. I'll admit that. Like it's not it's not the evangelism movie you're like man, I know you don't like these but man, this one will win you over. Like no, no. it's not that at all. <laughs> but you know, I I yeah, as crazy and stupid and as much as you can criticize pretty much every single superhero movie for having some fantastical not even talking about their superpowers elements um it was fine like it's maybe it's middle of the pack but it was not this embarrassing little like <laughs> thing to be shunned no not at all and so as a, a fan of these characters and of the the justice league they're building up to there were a few things in man of steel that i have had to concede to my friends that did not like man of steel i'm like yeah you're right that that was pretty lazy um, even though I've like pushed back a little, so here's an example. Um, in Man of Steel, there is a fight that is basically the entire second half of the movie, where tens of thousands of people die, like a whole <laughs> whole lot of people die, basically because of Superman's recklessness. <laughs> and uh, the pushback that I got from friends of of that franchise was like Superman wouldn't do that 
there have actually been times in the comic he intentionally like dragged someone away from a populated area because he doesn't want innocent people to die. Yeah. Um, and I was like, yeah, but in Man of Steel, he's not Superman yet. It is a story about him becoming Superman. So he doesn't yet think that way because he like just got superpowers a minute ago. Yeah. <laughs> and then in uh, Batman vs Superman, there is a little throwaway line where someone just very quietly offhandedly mentions like that the island they're fighting on is near the city. Yeah but is actually uninhabited. Well, and very notably, when battling new super big mutant crazy baddie, uh, Superman takes him to space almost immediately. So there's that too. And and maybe this is also revisionist in the part of the screenwriters, but they (laughs) the whole beginning of the movie is, oh my God, look at how many people were destroyed by him. Do we want this guy in our lives? And so at least they used it. It's like, oh... Yeah, and that was actually the argument that I made to a a particular friend who hated Man of Steel. (laughs) I was like, I will admit that all these plot holes are um, unforgivable if they don't use the next movie as a jumping off point. And they did. I felt like they totally justified all of the shenanigans in Man of Steel. (laughs) That doesn't mean you have to like it, but I feel like they at least, they, you know, it's kind of like a, you see somebody walking with like their hands over their eyes and then they open them and they're like, you know, happy 16th birthday. We bought you a car. And it's like, Oh, that person wasn't trying to walk out into traffic and die. They were being surprised. And now (laughs) in hindsight, I understand what was happening. Yeah. And it's not like people in Batman versus Superman are like looking at the rubble of Metropolis and just go, Eh, it's worth it. It's like, no, there there was like an opposition force of like, we need to kill God. He is a false God. Let's, let's get rid of him. Yeah. And I felt, so you, you mentioned in here, Jesse Eisenberg, not your favorite Lex Luthor interpretation. (laughs) I, he is not the way as someone who grew up in the nineties that I imagined Lex Luthor because I had like the, the, the Warner brothers cartoon, and um you know the the movie the old movies and now the the return of superman um with uh kevin spacey who is an awesome lex Luthor. i was just gonna bring him up like <laughs> that's not a great superman movie in my opinion but i liked him as lex Luthor. yeah well i mean it's you know kevin spacey like <laughs> yeah patrick stewart's done some real i, crap, I can't remember patrick stewart is always awesome <laughs> i can't remember what lines are but there's a moment where as lex Luthor, kevin spacey yells and it's like wonderfully surprising (laughs) Um, i'm gonna have to go look that up because i just remember it being like whoa yeah he was real good but the thing about uh eisenberg as lex Luthor is i got the distinct impression that we were seeing luther begins right yeah he's young crazy he does not do a very good job of keeping his napoleon complex like yes because like lex luther historically has always had this outrageous temper but he keeps it in check because manipulation is one of the ways he has power over people like his his superior intellect his force of presence you know he's always shown as kind of like a big dude um but then to show uh jesse eisenberg's luther as like he knows he's the smartest guy in the room and God damn it. He is going to make sure you know it too. (laughs) Like he can't help himself. Even when he, in the scene where he's giving the little speech, uh, 
at like his little philanthropy. I think he like donated a library or something. Yeah. Um, and like he, <laughs> he l- totally loses the thread of his stupid little platitude speech to talk like lament other smart people who are not respected <laughs> and it's like oh there there you go that's his like real feeling showing through whereas yeah. like an older more seasoned lex luther would never let that happen yeah I, I can see that and i did like the at least the 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 writing of the beginning of a speech where he was like blah 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 open bar blah 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 <laughs> benefit haha the end <laughs> applause it's it's funny that they um they picked him who also played mark zuckerberg because they <laughs> i feel like they're trying to shape this lex luther as like a tech billionaire in the 21st century. Yeah. It's like, this is where he got his money. This is mid twenties. Doesn't know what to do. New money. (laughs) Right. But if he makes it into his late thirties and he has the wisdom and maturity of having dealt with life and his company and everything for, you know, 25 years as an adult, then he will look more like the Lex Luthor we know and imagine you know, from the comics and stuff. Yeah. So I, I was, again, I'm, I'm basically betting on the future to justify this crazy yeah. version now. Well, and I, I don't, I'm still waiting to see how my feelings bear out. Like, do I hate this Lex Luthor because he was really good at being really annoying and I'm like mistaking, <laughs> uh, like, I don't know, me and Shelby were talking about, she was like, I don't know if I hate Jesse Eisenberg or he was really good <laughs> at being someone I should hate. Um, well, is it like the poor kid who played Godfrey or what's his name uh, in Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like everyone is like the vitriol. I don't, I don't want to say it, <laughs> but the things people have said against him as a person on Twitter. And it's like he's not that character. Yeah. Apparently he's a really nice kid. Yeah. He's just also a super talented actor, much to his dismay. Yeah. Um, I have to look up who that was. So say something. Oh, Joffrey. Joffrey, not yeah. Godfrey. Yeah, Joffrey. Um, so, uh, the, I like your other note here is, uh, how many times we got to watch the Waynes die? <laughs> yes. So, the, man, this is probably proof that these are not very good movies, that everything is okay in hindsight. But, uh, when I realized after that little opening sequence, like, oh, this is him, like, having a nightmare, I thought... Oh no. Then they're going to show Superman's nightmare <laughs> of him coming but they never did that. And I I realized okay, they're going to keep showing him having these nightmares because they want you to understand that Batman who is Batman Superman is kind of making him lose his grip on reality. Like he Batman had a really like solid grasp of what the worst thing could be like in the Joker, right? The Joker is like the worst thing in that universe Batman can imagine and he's overcome it. And now he's kind of like, okay, there's still wrongs to be righted, but that was as bad as it can get. And then God comes down (laughs) to earth and kind of makes him question everything. And so I really liked like first off, I thought Ben Affleck did a good job. Like I thumbs, thought he did great. Thumbs up. Um, but I like this version of Batman that is like 
kind of defeated all of his major villains and has now gone back to stopping like normal crime <laughs> and is now like i don't know what to do about superman no one knows what to do about superman like this is a problem yeah his whole deal is that he can outthink anyone and out you know maneuver any situation and he is faced with god like what is he gonna do yeah, you got to hope for the kryptonite. Um, I did think one of the best, my favorite action sequence of the entire thing was Batman's like warehouse battle to save Martha Kent. Um, that was just fun watching him deal with that many guys. <laughs> that was super cool. That that made me consider replaying the Arkham games. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was kind of just like, I want to do that. <laughs> I want to beat up 40 guys at once. Yeah, and even included in, especially I think the second Arkham game is the, no, even the first one, the come through a wall and grab the guy, <laughs> take yeah. down. And uh, they, I definitely called those every time because the camera would linger over, you know, the guy's staring at the door, but the camera's watching the wall. You're like, okay, he's about to get hit through the wall. Yeah. Um, but but I, isn't that one of those uh, to make you feel smart moments? Yeah, it was delightful. And, uh, the, <laughs> you know, whatever you think of Zack Snyder as a director, his strength to me is visuals. It's uh, really slick, impactful visuals is what he does so well. Um, I'm not always super excited about his storytelling necessarily, <laughs> but there's usually images left in your mind. You're like, wow, that looked really cool. Well, and so another thing about this version of Batman is uh, particularly related to that fight scene is he seems pretty okay with often dudes like <laughs> he caused some injuries that no question oh, some of those cars there's no way the people in those cars survived what happened to them <laughs> yeah and then like the one guy in that fight scene like rushes out of uh the hall like into the open room and he has a grenade and i don't remember exactly what he does but he batman ends up knocking that guy back into the hall and of course he drops the grenade and as he scrambles to i think the thing is called the spoon the actual trigger yeah um he scrambles to like hold the spoon back down and then the camera goes back into the room with batman and you see an explosion <laughs> and it's like, like that guy's dead <laughs> like, that guy is definitely dead or is praying for death right now well and you have the line from batman of basically dismissing common criminals he's like ah they're like weeds they just grow back <laughs> yeah but i kind of the reason i again hindsight like i feel like what they're setting up for is this version of Batman was kind of starting to go off the rails a little bit and his friendship with Superman and Wonder Woman will help set him right. Yeah. Cause he was branding people. Like they made a big point. Like is Batman going too far? Cause he's like searing his shape into people. Well, and they also made a point that people in jail with that brand tend to get murdered in jail. Yeah. And so obviously he knows that and he is still okay with it. So his actions are directly leading yeah. to the deaths well, of these criminals. Alfred's entire existence, which is played by the wonderful Jeremy Irons, is basically a foil to be like, Batman, you are losing it, right? Yeah. <laughs> he, I thought he was a great Alfred. Yeah, I liked him. He, he was a little um, more... Uh, youthful i guess because it's hard to have old batman and old alfred well i mean jeremy irons is an old dude now he's just still sexy as hell i think that's the problem <laughs> you're kind of like man uh if i if i were gay i'd probably want to make out with jeremy irons <laughs> well, but i mean like uh michael kane 
like when 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 Christian Bale's Batman was as old as they were portraying Ben Affleck's Batman, Michael Caine would be dead. <laughs> yeah. So this Alfred must be closer in age to Batman, which means when he was it may be he, his father's age or something. Yeah. So they, they, he was a much younger man when the the Waynes were killed, and then again just killed again. A, <laughs> killed again. Didn't just play a fatherly role, but actually like was the right age to be his father. <laughs> So that and that's not a problem. It's just something like you have to accept that this yeah. is not ninety-year-old, you know, bald Alfred with the little French mustache. Like, yeah. this is a younger, hipper guy. But I do think the complaint comes because Jeremy Irons is such a good-looking man. I <laughs> I think it's even more that because I'm sure his raw age is. Well, how old is he now? Is he? He's got to be in his sixties by now. I don't. know. He's a good-looking fella. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's sixty-seven. So. <laughs> And handsome as hell. And uh, they said the Waynes died in 81 on the tombstone in this movie. So if you figure yeah. that Batman was, or not Batman, that Bruce <laughs> Wayne, how old, how old do you think kid Bruce Wayne was in this depiction? I think he's supposed to be like 10 or 11. Okay, so then that's, you know, 35 years plus 10. So I guess 45, mid-40s Batman is what yeah. we have. Yeah, which, I mean, they even show a little montage of him getting ready to fight Superman because he has to wear the, the, I forget, there's a name for the armor he wears when he fights Superman, but like he has to be strong enough to fight wearing all of that armor and, and yeah. like using these big heavy tools and things. And something I noticed, because I, I love Batman. I think Batman's an amazing superhero, but I'm I'm always team Superman. And <laughs> I I did think it was really interesting and kind of poignant in the universe of cinema that you're like oh yeah these two guys are gonna fight like batman and superman they're gonna fight and there's gonna be an awesome training montage for batman and nothing for superman <laughs> because he's already f***ing superman so <laughs> but i have a question about that montage is uh was that like the day of the battle because then lifting is a terrible idea if you're batman on like the the day or even maybe the day before you go fight superman so there is one very small uh kind of clue that i got to give me an idea of the time scale which was um lex luther which i i was so happy that they did not explain this to the audience like we were all idiots you either had to understand what happened or you had to not understand what happened but lex luther somehow found out about the guy that was injured during man of steel that worked for Bruce Wayne. Yeah, which they show at the beginning of this movie, too. Yes. Um, yeah, so that guy who ends up, he has the bomb in his wheelchair. Um, so Lex Luthor somehow found out about that guy early enough to intercept the checks that Wayne Enterprises was sending to him as consolation for the horrible mutilation he underwent and return them to Wayne Enterprises as if that guy was like a disgruntled psychopath, which did actually turn him into a disabled, disgruntled psychopath. Because he wasn't receiving the support. <laughs> exactly. And then he, when the guy who is obviously working for Lex Luthor shows up with a giant stack of return checks with like, you know, uh, a serial killer scrawl all yeah. over them. Um Bruce Wayne is understandably like, why the hell have I never seen this before? 
And the guy is just like, Rufflecopter. And they don't point out to you like, well, that guy obviously works for Lex and Lex has been playing the long game for like 18 months now. Like you just have to figure that out. There's just one little line when uh, Lex Luthor is is touting, you know, he's monologuing to the hero. And he he says, like, all it took to turn him against you is a few un, uncashed checks. And I was just like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Because I'm I'm not like it's not like I'm a super genius or anything, but like when I <laughs> when I put together how that happened and that that one guy whose face is only on screen for two seconds handing Bruce Wayne the stack of checks, I was like, that guy must work for Lex Luthor. Like he <laughs> he's been because that's Lex Luthor. Like he, that's what he does is he plays these super long mind yeah these investments games. yeah just, I was just like yeah <laughs> that was super satisfying to me. And I think all these things are just a testament. Like, the movie was fine. Like, it wasn't that bad. And <laughs> that's the biggest mystific. Like, most of my emotion is like, what? Why do people hate this? <laughs> Unless they were already predisposed to just not like the genre of film, which I can, it's fine. If you don't like superhero movies, they're insane, whatever. Like, that's fine. Have your thing. But sure. Uh, well, and so we got to talk about the other, because they're obviously setting up Justice League. Like, yeah. they made. No secret that they are setting up Justice League. So you get a tiny little glimpse of the Flash. You get a tiny little glimpse of Aquaman. So who is the third one? Because I'm not deep enough into comic book to know the C. Who was that? The Mm. guy who was, you know, half body strapped. uh, It's uh, Cyborg. Okay. I don't know Cyborg. So I was like, I'm going to have to look that one up. Yeah, he's, um, I don't remember his exact backstory, but he's a human who became enhanced with super powerful cybernetics. So he, I guess you could say he doesn't have superpowers, but like he's, he is super powered. (laughs) Which I have to say that part of the movie was a little heavy handed, like BRB, we're going to have a trailer for something else for (laughs) a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, it's, but it, I felt like it was... It was all in service of saving Batman's soul when he realizes, like, I can't stop superpowered people. I need there to are make, a ton of them. <laughs> well, and I need to just find them and make them fight for good because you could argue that part of Batman's superpower is pointing Superman at the things he wants Superman to <laughs> yeah. kill. Like, well, that's, they, it's either that in, or like every single like cartoon is like, ha ha, everyone flying around, Batman, my ship got hit. I'm going to see you guys at the next meeting. <laughs> exactly. So, the, you know, Batman, there's a whole other conversation about like the non-superpowered superheroes who obviously still have superpowers. <laughs> yeah. Unlimited money and perfect physical condition is a kind of superpower. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so Aquaman, whatever, you know, Flash, whatever. But the whole movie, they're rubbing Wonder Woman in your face. And they're like, yeah. hey, you know Wonder Woman's in this movie. Gold Here necklace, gold earrings, gold yeah. headband. <laughs> yeah, they, they keep like teasing her out there. And then finally, um, when she shows up, uh, so Superman has gone into space. Batman is on the ground. <laughs> got and in space and gotten nuked. <laughs> yeah, he's 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 hurting, and he realizes Batman realizes he's going to have to do something because uh, Doomsday has come back, um, and you think because Doomsday does like the heat vision eyes, and someone gets in the way of the heat vision to save Batman's life, 
and you think like, oh man, Superman came back just in the nick of time, even though they've been setting up that Wonder Woman is about to join the fight. So it's yeah. it's probably on the second watching, it will be way more obvious, like, well, duh, of course it was Wonder Woman. <laughs> but the thing that I geeked out about is Hans Zimmer does the music for this movie, and I really love his music. Yeah. And in that moment when all of the loud laser noises are happening and you're like gasping because Batman was about to get his butt handed to him, there is theme music that starts and it is distinctly different from anything that they have played in the movie up until that point. And when the, the heat vision goes away and you see Wonder Woman with the bracers crossed and they're all like heated up, but they're magic. So who gives a crap? <laughs> like that was like the music and the visual like clicked together for me. And I was like, yes, <laughs> like, it was just, it was like another like savory moment. Like as someone in the theater, I savored that moment. And as someone who has been wanting, like, do a Wonder Woman movie, do a Supergirl movie, do a um, a Black Widow movie. Like, I cannot believe that crap got canceled. Uh, so Warner Brothers, I'm sure you're listening to this. And Marvel, <laughs> uh, Mr. Lee, um, when Wonder Woman was on screen for the first time as Wonder Woman, it was the one and only one time during that entire two and a half hour movie that the audience applauded. So... Just take that knowledge and now go make a bunch of money off these movies you should have been making already. Yes. <laughs> yeah, do it for purely economic reasons. Fine. Just go <laughs> do it. <laughs> but, I mean, what did you think of her portrayal? I I didn't have any serious problems. I mean, she was kind of just hanging around until she was needed at the end. Um and it, there, I mean, there's part of me that's like, man, like Batman got like a trilogy and other trilogies before this. <laughs> and, you know, there's been a lot of Superman movies by now. Um, could we get one before she has to be like a side character to Superman and Batman? Um, but that's sort of a meta comment. I, I thought in the movie it was fine. Like, um, I don't think it would have done us much good to spend a lot of time on her story before then. Um, cause that's not the story they were telling, but please go and do that now. Like, well, I want to see that 2017 is supposed to be her movie. She's going to get a big, cause justice league's not till 2018. So and we she, have suicide squad. Is that later this year? Yeah. That's in like a couple of months. Okay. Summer. Yeah. So we're, we're going to get a dedicated, unless they cancel it cause they're assholes, but we're supposed <laughs> to get a dedicated wonder woman movie. And this is the same kind of thing I felt like they were doing with Batman where they showed more of Batman's backstory because a lot of the turmoil of the movie for you as the viewer is relating to Batman, the human. That's at least the best defense you can give of, oh my God, we have to watch them murdered in an alley again. Cause there's, we've seen that like, it can't be people don't know who Batman is. Like even yeah. people that don't know anything about any other comic know, Oh, Batman's parents get killed and he becomes <laughs> Batman. So that, that can't be any like origin story reason to do that. And so it all falls to, if you buy that, it's the emotional turmoil argument. Well, and they, they, when they're doing the opening credits, they, they do stretch it out a little bit, even though cinematically it was very pretty. Like it was a cool version of it um yeah. with like the gun getting hooked under the beads because that's like i was like the, it's the always a pearl necklace <laughs> well because uh famously he the gun goes off while he's pulling on yeah. the necklace and so i thought it was very macabre to have the gun actually get hooked 
under it, and that's <laughs> why he fires on her. I was like, whoa. Um, but I, when when they show subsequent dreams, they are his existential dread over the fact that Superman exists at all, and like the the one very long one where he's like steampunk Batman. And yeah. he's got like the trench coat on and the goggles and he's in the desert and he's trying shooting to shooting everyone up. <laughs> yeah, he's trying to get the kryptonite and then it turns out that they're all actually secretly in like Superman's army and they all look like Nazi soldiers but they have like the the S on their shoulder. Yeah. I was like yeah, this is why he's losing his mind because this is what he thinks He doesn't happen. trust him. Yeah. No, not <laughs> even a little bit. Um so that I felt like they they did an okay job with that. And then with Wonder Woman um, the little bit they talk about her backstory is just enough to let you know that she is kind of done fighting on humanity's behalf. <laughs> and like, cause she's old. Like I think she's thousands of years old, if not hundreds. Yeah. But she's very, very old. And she's been off of uh, since 1918. They say in the movie that she's like, ma'am out right after she, world war one, I, I guess. Yes. But she, so she's an immortal, and then she'd come, she gave up her immortality to come to Earth, but she's like still kind of immortal. I can't remember <laughs> the name. Methuselah style, maybe? <laughs> yeah, she, I can't remember the name of the island, the Amazonian island she lived on that's off the coast of Greece, and then she decides to like join the mortar world. And so she, for an unknown amount of time, was fighting like on behalf of humans, and then she's just like, oh my God, <laughs> done. <laughs> so I've, I think they did a good job of saying like she has a backstory. We're not going to act like she doesn't have one. That's just not what this movie's about. Yeah. And then now that she's been introduced to the, the modern era, she'll tell us her story and hopefully her movie won't suck. Yep. It, it just needs to make money. I honestly, I would rather her movie be a complete dumpster fire that makes $2 billion like because then the transformers studios... three level, like, <laughs> Yes, because then the studios will at least be willing to take more chances on female leading roles in in superhero movies and just maybe in general. But if if her movie is the best freaking movie ever made and it barely breaks even, they don't care about art, they care about money. They're a business. Yeah. And I don't I'm not trying to to be unfair toward them, but like they're a business. They have to make safe bets. That's, that's why, why it's so 45 diehard movies. But I think that's why it's so mind-boggling that they haven't like it feels like they're leaving money on the table um because they have plenty of examples of female-led movies that like sell like gangbusters. And it's not even just like well Hunger Games, it's very recent. Uh it's like you can come up with other female stars that have totally made bank at the box office and it's like come on i i I honestly i'm not trying to defend what they're doing but my interpretation is it's all just hard math and if the chance of a movie starring a guy making money is you know one out of four and the chance of a movie starring a woman making money is one out of five then they're like well we got to go with the more likely bet Even if it's only a hair difference, and even if there's all this evidence to show the public is demanding that the odds are actually better than they have been historically, they are totally ignorant money-counting machines. But you also wonder if like, some inherent misogyny is more easily swayed by a sketchy number. Like, well, we've made the argument, and 
these reports maybe suggest this, and uh, well, we want a man anyway, so let's just go with it. Oh no, that's that's why I qualified. I'm not defending it. I think that that is the reason they would bring to the table, which is a valid reason. It's just that there's no way it's uncoupled from the misogyny. <laughs> like, yeah. like it's like yes, your movie starring a guy is going to make money more likely than a movie starring a woman, but you also do these other bad things toward women that have nothing to do with money. Yeah. So what's the, your justification over there, Mr. Studio Executive? Like, yeah, there's, there's no way it's, it's just about the money. There is absolutely no way, but I'm sure that that is the cold calculus they use as a defense. Yeah. <sighs> are you, so now having seen this, are you, looking forward to justice league at all or are you starting to get burned out on, on um movies? i i'll say pretty categorically i prefer the single hero movies to the ensemble movies other than that the ensemble movies tend to have a lot of wisecracking that's funny <laughs> which you know iron man and captain america are two great sources of humor especially uh with each other that's why civil war is either going to be fantastic or terrible <laughs> But the comedy thing aside, I'm pretty fatigued of the Avengers stuff. Like, there's so many threads they're juggling. There's just, like... Um, I mean, origin stories kind of have all more gravity anyway because they usually get to kill off some important figure in this person's life, and they get to... Um, often parents. Yeah. Often and, wearing pearl necklaces. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I really like Batman Begins. I think it's actually my favorite of the Nolan trilogy. Um, because it's really about Batman, and it's not, even though the Joker is amazing in the second one, but, um, so, I I was never going to be most excited about Justice League, but um, we'll see how it comes together. I mean, these these are economic machines, so they're going to hit, <laughs> they're going to hit certain blockbuster notes, certain set pieces, certain jokes will be in there, um, but we'll see if it can rise above what the status quo is. I genuinely do believe that these movies make as much money as they do because nerds go to see them 50 times, but they're as <laughs> successful as they are because people who know who Batman is because he's just so baked into popular culture see this movie having never ever read a single page of a single Batman comic and enjoy the movie and understand what is happening. So Susan turned me on to this idea a long time ago, which is uh, books and their movie interpretations are like alternate universes based on the same source material. So to compare a movie directly to a book, or in this case, a movie directly to a comic book, is kind of a fool's errand because they not only are they different, but they are intentionally different. So even with a comic book, which is very much a visual media yeah it's still not motion it's still not there's no sound it's very very different and most stories in comic books are told over many 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 issues that are then like compiled back into uh you know like a yeah an anthology or whatever which is how i read nightfall it was well yeah. after it was done yeah movies just do not function that way so their story arcs are always going to be a little bit different. I've been seeing a lot of people complain uh, that the like the cover art in Civil War is like a hundred different superheroes all flying at each other at once for the big battle, which happens and is awesome. And then <laughs> in the movie, it's like eight people. It's like, yeah, because you 
have to have read 30 years of comic books for yeah. Civil War to matter. <laughs> Whereas the Civil War, the movie only has like five prequel movies. So <laughs> give it a break. And prequel movies that encompass probably like a couple comics worth of storytelling, not even an entire series of any individual hero. Yeah, exactly. So my, my, I'm looking forward to Justice League, particularly because... I feel very vindicated in the way I defended Man of Steel now that <laughs> Batman vs. Superman is out. Uh, and I'll still, the, my friend George, who hated Man of Steel, he's probably going to hate Batman vs. Superman too. <laughs> but at least all of the things I gave him as counterpoints that I was kind of like, I put my number on, you know, <laughs> yeah. my, I put my chip on 15 red and I was like, okay, <laughs> we'll know in two years when Batman vs. Superman comes out. And it came out, and I was just like, yes, thank God. I bet the company payroll, and it actually came I up. at least broke, I'm going to break even. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I did genuinely enjoy it. I love Hans Zimmer's music. I thought the character portrayals were good. Um, there is the personal vindication thing that it, <laughs> it's hard. It's hard for me to separate that. Well, like, and maybe I am thrilled because I was expecting so little that it's like, sure. hey, it was okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's uh, there is. I mean, I, I talked about this at the top of this topic, but there's there's some legit superhero fatigue going on. Yeah, like even I, who really genuinely love all of this crap when a new superhero movie gets announced i'm kind of like neat yeah i but, didn't even see like, the last avengers i still haven't watched it because it's I, like you know i finally uh did we i think we had like a free rental or i got it at Redbox or something but we we finally saw it on you know the my tiny little 50 inch screen <laughs> um and it, it was kind of like by the time it was done i was like okay i've i've seen that now <laughs> and and not because I didn't like it. I liked it a lot, but I was just like, okay, I've I've now checked the box. Yeah. Well, that's how I felt about I saw the final Hunger Games movie and I was just kind of like, can we just put this guy down now? <laughs> <laughs> Are we done? Yeah, like I'm I'm tired. I'm just tired. I mean, I'm glad Katniss got where she got to. Can we just go to sleep now? <laughs> this feels like a mark of uh of nerddom, which The Simpsons, like everything else in popular culture, did an amazing job of encapsulating when... <sighs> I think they were making fun of the original prequel, so Star Wars Episode One, um, <laughs> and comic book guy is ripping it to shreds. It's like the, you know, the midnight showing. He's tearing it to shreds because of how terrible it is, and he's like, worst movie ever. I will only see it three more times <laughs> today. <laughs> and I was just like I I hate how much I can identify with that feeling where a lot of these superhero movies I'm just like I don't particularly care about Thor but I sat through the dark world which <laughs> was so bad I'll yeah. never watch it again but it was for some reason important to me that I say I had seen it yeah the Thor ones are especially not that great to me I thought the first Thor was okay but dark world was just a train wreck yeah and uh, Iron Man 2? Was that the, the really dumb one? Yeah, I think two's the worst Iron Man. Uh, first one's the best one, easily, yeah. but the third one I actually enjoyed pretty well. Yeah, I thought the third one was pretty good. Especially, I think they realized what they had screwed up. They were like, Ooh. Well, they had the... 
the Kiss Kiss Bang Bang director Shane Black, I think is his name. Um, I I like him as a filmmaker, so he brought some snark to it that was really enjoyable. I think. Well, by that time they had really gone all in on making all the movies talk to each other. Yeah. So like that whole movie is about him having an existential crisis over aliens and that sets up the Avengers. Like, yeah. Or it sets up uh, the Avengers. No, it sets up age of Ultron. So that's like the in-between yeah. Avengers movie. It's just, Oh God, there's so much. <laughs> so damn yeah. much tired just thinking about it <laughs> so what i mean it wasn't always this way i mean when the 70s superman movie happened it was kind of like wow they everyone came together and made a not just for kids superhero movie that was like trying to be serious and then they kind of fizzled out and then uh you have batman you know 1989 batman whatever year it was um, and then bat nipples ruined it for everyone. Yeah, ruined it, you know, <laughs> when Joel Schumacher made his campy ones. But um, that was like another resurgence of like superhero for adults taking it seriously, making this really cool. And then I'd, I'd say it kind of fizzles again. Like you said, nipple suit kind of ruins it. <laughs> and then I think the first X-Men was like the first like really modern like. Well, wait, which came first, the newer X-Men or the newer Spider-Man? Oh, that's close. Um, they're very close. The Sam Raimi Spider-Man, you mean, and the the Brian Singer X-Men. Yeah, um, they're okay. both. You, you keep making your point. They're both late going. '90s, I think. Um, but maybe we'll just give credit to both for now until you prove it. Um, <laughs> they they kind of set the template for what I still think we're watching is those kinds of superhero. You know, the production's way better, and there's even more money involved to make them slick. But we're still seeing that kind of superhero treatment x-men beat spider-man by two whole years okay so i i really think of brian singer's x-men even though it's i don't know if it holds up that well anymore like i don't think i enjoy watching it that much anymore <laughs> but i think it's kind of the 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 template we're still seeing um and i'm wondering when will be the next twist will it be like superhero movies go full indie and everything's intricate dramas and um i mean maybe we are seeing that with like jessica jones like stuff on netflix like it's kind of like the maturing of the genre but we're still well, getting batman versus superman so i'm glad you brought this up because this is another critique i've been seeing of batman versus superman with like oh it's so dark and brooding and my counterpoint to that is and <laughs> like i'm not sure i understand the argument so do you are you pro bat nipples because that was pretty opposite of dark and brooding like ice to see you <laughs> yeah and he had the stupid batman credit card like <laughs> you can't get much more opposite of the nolan batman than the the clooney batman <laughs> and i don't think you know only a sith deals in absolutes but but i don't know when someone says oh it's so dark and brooding i'm like i'm not sure what you're advocating for like, I get that you don't like this. What would you do differently? Well, the the most like critically defensible opposite I can think of is the Sam Raimi Spider-Mans because those are very bright and fun movies and very car cartoony in a good way. Um, I mean, the the third one I'm not a big of a fan of, but no one is. <laughs> but um, for what they are, I think they're. You know, I'm not the biggest Spider-Man fan. I, I'm not a huge fan of him as a character, but I think those are really good, bright color comic book movies. 
And so is that what they wanted out of Batman versus Superman with cities getting destroyed? Is like, ha ha. Well, but I mean, if you think about all of the things I've been saying I loved about Batman's character in this movie, he is simultaneously kind of retired because he's sort of solved all of his immediate problems. Yeah. He's sort of losing his grip on his place in the world. And then 18 months prior to the starting of the movie, he has started to lose his grip on his place in the universe. (laughs) So could you tell a story as monumental as man fighting God for the fate of humanity and have it be like colorful and silly? Like it, I feel like yeah. the, you couldn't tell this story and not make it dark and brooding. It's a dark and brooding you'd have to put story. Robin in it and have him be like wisecracking the whole time. Hey, oh, Bruce, did you, did, did you notice the Robin costume? No, I didn't. Cave? I didn't. Oh man! So they 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 linger on it for a second, but if you don't kind of know what you're looking at, it's it's a little too quick. Like it's sort of there. Totally missed people. it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's sort of there for people who know and for people with sharp eyes to be like, oh, I need to go back and figure out what that was. So he's uh, looking. It's it's in like the second half of the movie. He's looking at the bat suit and sort of having you know his existential crisis, and then he goes to walk uh, upstairs out of I guess the bat cave or out of that part of it, and he walks past the Robin suit. And it's the it's the red and green with the cape, um, but it's it's you know the colors are darker, they're less cartoony. But uh, so famously in uh, one of the most successful Batman stories ever, um, Robin gets murdered. So is this and, the same story thread they used in the last game? Yes. Jason so, Todd is it? Yeah, yeah. Jason Todd. Um, Batman thinks he's murdered, and in some universes he actually is murdered, and in other ones he survives. Um, but the 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 robin suit that he has in the case has spray painted in very joker like writing okay ha jokes on you so that that was very strongly featured i just stared at joker's writing not at what it was written on so that's ah. why i missed it cuz i was reading the joker's words yes yeah that's on the robin costume so there's a lot more gravity to that than yeah. <laughs> yeah, i realized that, that, that's like you can't you can't have these characters telling this story and not have it be dark and brooding. Like it it would just be something else. It would be something different if it wasn't this story. I wonder if they're just like the slacklash. There's kind of a Zach, a Zach lash um, against Zack Snyder because he has a, a particular brand of visually flashy filmmaking that I think is a meta narrative that some critics are bringing into this film. Like, oh, he's trying to make everything 300. Ha ha, this is Gotham or something. And I I get that people might be tired of Zack Snyder, but it seems a little unfair, I think, some of the way it's been rubber stamped onto this. Yeah, I mean, with any uh, successful director, don't you think they eventually become uh what's well, the author function i mean their name represents yeah. whatever stereotypes earned or not that everyone believes about that name yep that's a really highbrow note to end this discussion <laughs> on should we just go out on that i think so man this what are we coming up on like over two hours here not quite but yeah maybe Close. hour hour 40 hour 50 nice 
we could talk about Batman versus Superman as much as we can talk about Apple versus the FBI. <laughs> so we really are legit nerds. Um, you can find the show notes for this episode as always at sunriserobot.net slash flipping tables slash one one two for episode one hundred and twelve. Um, if you want to reach out to us and tell us about all the things we got right and what we got wrong and why Batman vs Superman is the best comic book movie ever made, nobody <laughs> nobody's going to reach out and say that. But if you want to, uh, you can find us most easily on Twitter. I am at Lions and Beta, and Mike, you are at pseudo Michael S U D O Michael. And if you want to support the show a little bit, uh, some of the easy things you can do are subscribe. That way you always get new episodes delivered into your podcatcher of choice. Uh, I'm still using Pocket Cast on Android. Mike, I think you're still using uh, Overcast yep. on iOS. Lots of good free versions. Um, iOS has something built in, which Android used to have, and now it's gone. Um, It'll come but, back. Google Music and, will have it. And there's plenty of free stuff. Um, I think uh, the one Matt uses, um, Podcast Addict, I think might be free. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that way you get subscribed, you know, you're never going to miss an episode. Uh, you can also, if you want to do something a little extra, go into iTunes, leave us a rating or a review. Nobody likes iTunes. Nobody wants to use iTunes for anything, <laughs> but, uh, all of those great podcast apps pull from the iTunes directory, which means those ratings and reviews help other people find the show, help bring it up into that new and noteworthy, help it, you know, surface in search results. So that's always a big help. Uh, and then if you want to do something a little bit more direct, maybe spend a little bit of money. You can go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash sunrise robot. And depending on the level you support us at, you may actually get your name shouted out at the end of a show or every show. So with that, I want to give a special thanks to Matt Mariner, Sean Byrne, Benji Robinson, still not tired of these sequels, Cunningham, Carolyn Kraut, Cliff Lyons, Ido Abramovich, and Justin Edwards. We love you all so much. Could not do it without you. So much love. See you next week. Oh,